What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Chris Amania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man. Oh, with the powerful question. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van <laughs> Greetings and salutations, my friends. Welcome back to another audio adventure on the Chris Van Vliet Show. This episode is brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. And if you saw the first interview that I did with Matt Seidel about three and a half years ago, it was awkward and a little strange, to say the least. We talk about it a lot during this interview, but there were moments where he just would randomly start rubbing his face. If you haven't seen this, I encourage you to either pause this right now or at some point during the day. Check it out so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm happy to say that none of that happens during this interview. Instead, we got a very insightful, almost hour-long conversation here that was really enjoyable. So snap a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening with us. Tag me on Instagram. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and Matt is at Matt Seidel. And if it's your first time here, make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or click follow on Spotify. And I know there's still a lot of people that don't know that I have a podcast, that don't know that this audio adventure exists. So any little thing that you can do to help get the word out there is very, very much appreciated. So thank you. And as you know, uh, reviews help out big time on Apple Podcasts. So I've been reading one out on every single episode as my way to say thank you for being with me on this. And also secretly, I'm hoping you'll go, oh, he reads out reviews on the show? I'm going to... I'm going to go leave one right now. A.H. Fan in Australia says, awesome podcast. Was that Australian? Awesome podcast. I'm so sorry. Uh, A.H. What's your real name? Adrian. I'm so sorry for that. Excellent work, work, Chris. One of the best presenters there is. Great selection of guests and great questions as well. Keep it up. Adrian from Melbourne, Australia. Well, thank you, Adrian. I love Australia. I can't wait to be back there. So as soon as things get normal again, I'm hoping to be back there. So me and you, Adrian, will be hanging out. Sound like a plan? We can eat some Vegemite together. (laughs) Matt Seidel has wrestled all over the world, but most recently you've seen him in Ring of Honor and AEW. In fact, he debuted in AEW at All Out during the Casino Battle Royal and had a super scary moment when he went up to the top rope for the Shooting Star Press and slipped off. And man, for a second there, I thought he was going to break his neck. So we talk about that moment and what led to everything happening there. He still like seems to be, you know, he's bummed out that it happened. But also I think we're all happy that he didn't get injured. We talk about his time in WWE and getting the name Evan Bourne. And, you know, while we're talking about Shooting Stars... We also break down everything that went into that infamous shooting star press into an RKO that he did with Randy Orton. 
I've seen that like a hundred times and it still blows my mind every single time. He talks about how different wrestling in Japan is and how it prepared him to when he came back to America to make him that much better of a wrestler. So now there's a lot here. So let's just dive right into this chat. Here we go with Matt Seidel. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome back Matt Seidel. Matt, thanks for taking the time to do this. All right, I'm ready to go. You know, I watched our other interview. It was three and a half years ago. And uh, when I saw you last month, you said, I think we need to do another interview. I think we need to make up for that one and also kind of explain what happened there. Yeah, well, I really wish I could remember three and a half years ago and exactly that. I just remember um, a friend of mine watching that interview later and saying, Matt, are you okay? Are you doing all right? Like they were just sort of thinking that uh, maybe I hadn't been getting enough sleep. And I think that might've been the case in that interview. And, you know, it's um, when you do these interviews, I sort of just say yes to anybody who asks me to do an interview. And even if it's maybe at a time that's not ideal for me, like minute as I'm trying to figure out a wrestling match against four guys that I haven't wrestled and going on in a minute. So it's just one of those ones where, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. And when you don't know what you're walking into, sometimes it's not the best interview. Well, in your defense, I met you that night. We were at Ronin Pro Wrestling in uh, Pembroke Pines, Florida. I met you that night and said, can we do this interview? You said yes. And then we decided we'd do it during the intermission. And you were in the main event. So we did it during the intermission. But while we were doing the interview, the show started back up again. Just feel like you were getting like, you were antsy. You were ready to get out there and work. Yeah. I mean, if you catch me the night before I leave on a trip to wrestle. I have horrible anxiety already. I'm going running through a million scenarios in my head. What's going to happen? Who's picking me up? Where am I going to stretch? Where am I going to eat? What am I like? Where am I going to find a bottle of water? Do I have to put like, you know, so I'm, I'm running through all those things in my head. That's the night before. Uh, and then as you get closer, like on, on the show day, I'm just only thinking about, you know, this, I just put an intense amount of pressure on myself for every match, for every performance. And this was no different. And when you don't have what you're going to do in the main event, which I have an obligation to all those fans that paid to see me to give them to deliver a match that not only that they expect, but something twice as good as that. And um, in this case, basically, we still didn't have a match ready. We had no match plan. We had nothing in, in the can. And then after intermission, there's only three matches and you have to go out there. So we have to figure out spots commit them to memory, go out and perform. But, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't regret taking the opportunity to speak with you because, um, you know, here we are, here we are now a few years older. I think, uh, I think we're, we have a lot of similarities. So, um, you know, that one didn't go, didn't start well, didn't end well, didn't have a good middle. Hopefully we can fix the beginning, middle and end on this one. Well, that's, we're, we're off to a great start already, but I'm just, I'm curious during that interview, you kept rubbing your face. You were like rubbing your face. What was going on? Hmm. Like, uh, uh oh, that's, pro that's me when I'm frustrated and annoyed. Um, you know, I think right away when you started the interview off, you called me Evan Bourne or whatever. And I was just like, this guy, like I told you, my name's Matt. It says it on my jacket. Like you can't call me by my name. It's like Muhammad Ali did. He took it a lot more personally than I did. You know, I said, uh, you know, and I tried to kind of curve things back to the, the moment at hand, because if you're asking me about Evan Bourne, that's like a whole different mindset I'd have to step into. And really I was only available to talk as myself um, at that time and trying to get, trying to have me walk back through this time machine 
well, it just wasn't a great time for me to be able to do that. Like today we can go back and if you wanted to start on my backyard wrestling days and work our way up, we can, we can talk through everything because I'm in that place. I'm not literally trying to think of uh, duck one, kick him in the head. What am I going to do after I do that? Can I hit the shooting star press tonight? Like, can, can this guy take a double knees off the top safely? What, you know, and, and actually three and a half years ago, I was really, really injured to the point where I shouldn't have been wrestling. I think mm. I, I'm not the only wrestler who does this, but I definitely have done it more than I should in my life where I have a neck injury and a shoulder injury on top of my pre-existing foot injury. And so I have just this living in a world of pain and trying to figure out how I can wrestle and survive. Uh, so that was sort of a survival mode, um, survival mindset interview where I was just trying to bang out a quick interview, go back and do my work. And then, then I was just like, all right, this is, this is not going how I wanted it to. And th- in interviews, I tend to just show my cards, just like I do in a wrestling match. Like when I'm mad, like it just, it shines through because there's, so there's plenty of moments in my life where I try and be really Zen and approach things in a non-reactive form. But when you're wrestling, you have to be in a purely reactive state of mind. So however I'm feeling on the outside, on the inside comes out. Uh, a lot of times I'm just kind of more quiet and chill. And like, I feel like I'm sort of like uh, both that can't be shook. But when it comes time for performing and when things are wrestling to relate it, I'm just so all in. It's like I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve. Have you always put this much pressure on yourself or is that just something since becoming a pro wrestler? Yeah. I mean, I was like, whether it was getting good grades or whatever it was, I just didn't feel like mistakes were acceptable. And when I got into wrestling, I was very undersized and very much picked on, abused, smacked around and um, basically told I didn't belong. So I always felt that I couldn't give anyone an excuse to tell me I didn't belong which meant having flawless matches, being the hardest worker, you know, going, working your job, going to wrestling training, then hitting the gym before you go, before you have that last muscle milk protein shake before you go to bed. That was me in the early days of protein. And when muscle milk came out, it's like, we, it was just an obsession. And I, and I mean, I, I still have that when I started to wrestle in, for Dragon Gate in Japan um, is I had a lot of pressure on myself already, but then I got to somewhere where it was the standard was higher than anywhere I'd ever been. There were no hesitations. There were zero mistakes. I mean, it was, it was unacceptable to the company, to the boys in the back for there to be any hesitations during your performance. It had to be flawless. And so that has never left me. I mean, I can still remember moments of hesitation from matches eight years ago when I can't remember anything else. I just remember that one time where I wasn't sure. And actually, I can tell you this one time I was, um, it was after I left WWE, I went back to wrestle for Dragon Gate. Yeah. And we were in Kyoto, which is like this very spiritual town in Japan. That's where all their temples are. And we wrestled at a building called KBS Hall, which has like a 50 foot stained glass mirror, like stained glass. Like it looks like a cathedral wall of, of stained glass. You've probably seen it in some Japanese magazines. A lot of companies wrestle there. Anyway, the building has some spirits in it, and we always get blessed before the match by the owner. They throw salt on you, and they kind of do a thing to make sure that the spirits are with you. And uh, I'm wrestling Ricochet. My brother Mike Seidel is on our team, and like it's time for the the, the moment where I'm going to get tagged in is coming really soon. And I look over to Ricochet. I'm like, what 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 am I supposed to do? I have no clue. I completely I have no idea what we're doing. And 
he's like, uh, okay, first you're going to, I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm just going to go with my gut. I stopped him. I said, I'm just going to go with my gut. I get the tag. I jump in there just like essentially no clue what's happening and just start running. And then it all just came to me right away. Boom, 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 boom. And at Dragon Gate, it happens twice as fast as maybe three times faster than things happen at WWE. And I just came in there and it was just, I just switched off my thinking mind, let my, just the open mind walk in there. And I just went, went with it. And, um, luckily I didn't mess up, but it's those moments where you're just like thinking too much that you kind of walk into these mistakes. I feel like the spirits were with you in that story. Yeah, absolutely. Like I really do have, feel like I, the universe supports me in, in a lot of ways. That one in particular, like, you know, that was kind of when I was beginning to get really deep in my spiritual journey. And I did like a strong meditation, like it's something you can't do in American wrestling. Like the guys will never let you just lay down mm-hmm. uh, in the ring or on the mats on the floor. Everybody wants to bug you. They want to say, hey, are you tired or whatever it is in Japan? If you're if you're laying down, they leave you alone. If you're stretching, nobody's going to bother you. So before that match, when the if the building was cleared out, most of the people were already uh, the wrestlers were in the back. And I had done my pre-show workout and stuff. And I just laid there and I listened to like a Ram Dass meditation before. And I just really felt composed and, and together and not like my mind was in a thousand places. It was just in this one place in KBS Hall. And it really kind of brought my focus down to the point where I didn't even need to actually remember what we were doing. It was just like imprinted. In, it was already in my brain. And it's just one of those ones where I have enough trust in the universe to just lean in and go for it. Is meditation part of your daily practice? In, in a way, yes. I, I mean, I wish it was much more of a daily thing, but even if I'm not doing a long meditation, I'm trying, I'm doing a walking meditation or I'm thinking of my breath. Like anytime I do these long drives up to AEW, I'll just try doing like 10 second inhale, 10 second hold, mm. 10 second exhale. And that's not really a meditation by any real definition, but it is in a way in that like your mind's just, you're just focused on one, like on essentially nothing, which is just breathing, but like controlling my breath and then getting into a rhythm where I'm not thinking about what's, what the anxiety that can happen when you're trying to project. When I get to AEW four hours from now, who could I be wrestling and what kind of moonsault am I going to do? You just can't think about that because it'll just get you all tense and anxious and that being tense actually makes you tired and being tense takes away your energy because you're clinched up. You're holding in. It happens in wrestling matches. It happens in life. When you get tense, you're just not as able. You don't have the, the, the resources to dedicate to your mind mouth connection. Uh, you're too busy. Your body's taking up all the energy and that's where your breath comes in and your breath can just breathe it out. So, I mean, when I'm in those tough spots, I just remember to breathe. And I think when I was grabbing my face like this in that interview, if I had done a deep breath instead, that would have been much more beneficial to just being annoyed. Because then you take that energy and you can, it's okay. Like it's okay to be annoyed with an interviewer or an interviewee. It's okay to be frustrated. The problem is if you hang on to it for too long, if you don't breathe it out, then you can run into the problem. Well, I apologize for frustrating you, and I apologize for perhaps annoying you during that interview, but I'm glad we're in a better spot now. Yeah, I mean, that's not you. That's me who, like, you know, that's my problem, not yours. So, you know, I'll take full, I'll take full responsibility for bombing that interview. Just ab- what, what makes me more upset is now people might go back and, and 
re rewatch it. But so just stick with this one, folks. We'll we'll get into whatever we want to get into. But yeah, we'll stick with this one, please. All right, so it may look a little bit different. We switched over from one streaming service now over to the much more stable Zoom here. And Matt, you mentioned uh, you know traveling up to AEW, and it was such a nice surprise to see you as an entrant in the Casino Battle Royal. How did that come together? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really nice surprise for me because I had just um, finished filming the Ring of Honor Pure Title Tournament in Baltimore for a whole week, and um, sort of thought my next uh, booking wouldn't be till this October set of ring of honor tapings and sure enough i got a phone call basically the night before the pay-per-view and request to see if i was available to work and it sounded like an awesome spot uh so yeah i mean we it just was just done old school style hey give me a call and i'll be on the way um you know for for the last two years since i last left impact in 2018 i've spent basically the, the last two years just trying to be healthy, be strong, and be ready for when that opportunity comes. And that's I sort of felt like this, that's what I've been putting into the universe. I've really been working towards it, even though it's not like I didn't go on podcasts and say, oh yeah, my goal is to be an AEW because that's just a little more revealing than you want to say. I mean, but, um, but really it had been like a focus of mine. Like it, it had been a huge, of course, now I got, now you're going to hate me, Chris. I just, I, my thing just said, uh, tw- 20% battery. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to, to, to locate my charger. It, 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 when it, when it tells me 10%, I'm going to okay. take a two second break, run, get the portable charger, plug it in. We'll be good. Okay. I promise. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, we'll um, I was talking about AEW. Yeah. And just, I mean, that came about because this, this is an organization that started basically on the principles that have guided my entire career in wrestling, which is that everything that got us in the past of wrestling is amazing. And we're so thankful for all of all of that, but it's really time to feature the forward thinkers in wrestling for it, for wrestling to be more of an open thing than a closed book for there to be less rules and more creativity for there to be collaboration instead of just like a top down hierarchy of how things go. And AEW is just like a federation out of my dreams. So when I got that call, I was like, I mean, absolutely. I was just so excited. And it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, there's friends I haven't seen in four, five, six years that I'm going to get to hang out with on Sunday. And that that in and of itself is super exciting, let alone to like debut on pay-per-view, which is huge. So you're not exclusively signed to anywhere right now. Correct. I am a free agent. So this is why we can see you on Ring of Honor, and then we can see you right after that on AEW, and then back to Ring of Honor. Cool, correct. Well, I'm not. I don't have anything booked with Ring of Honor right now, but my match is just sort of. We filmed eight weeks of TV, so I had a match with Ring of Honor on Monday, and then my AEW Dark airs on Tuesday. Or actually, it was I had an AEW Late Night Dynamite debut uh, right the day after a Ring of Honor match, and then I had my. Then just this past week when I wrestled Sonny Kiss on AEW Dark, the night before I'm wrestling Jonathan Gresham in the Ring of Honor Pure title tournament. So it was pretty awesome for me to like, to know that like, I mean, during the pandemic, there was no work. I had zero work. It was very challenging. I mean, I was just holding on by a string there, by a thread, a thin, thin thread. Um, But I just was dedicated. And I really just believed that there would be a, we'd be able to come out of this and I would be, ready and so just during the time off i was making 
new gear for myself. Me and my girlfriend make all my costumes here myself ourselves at home. So we were just, we were working on new tights. We were working on new knee pads. We were working on all this stuff. And then the, the ring of honor thing didn't come. It was only a, maybe I had a month to pre, a month ahead of time that was booked. And then the AEW thing, I had to be ready the next day for it. So it's just one of these ones where you wait and you wait and you wait. But when that call, when that red light goes, you have to be ready to jump. And like, so I was just really proud of the work that I had done in the dark. And now we get to bring it and show it off in front of everybody. Cause I've been working really hard, um, on all sorts of, you know, the preparations to wrestle, but also at my wrestling school, uh, I have a little dojo in Clearwater called the Sai Dojo. And I've just been putting in extra work there. And so when I get a chance to wrestle now, I'm just, my, my comfort level in the rings higher, my like skills are sharper. And I just felt like I couldn't have a better time to get these huge opportunities. You know, even I've done, I've done a lot of things in wrestling, but you have to understand as a wrestler, I want to do, I've had 20 years of wrestling, thousands of matches, the wrestling, the shows I want to be on are the the shows I want to be on. Mm -hmm. And AEW was the only place that I hadn't been to that I was just really wanted to be a part of. And since I've been doing work for them for almost a month now, I mean, after this last Wednesday, I was so fired up on just wrestling in general, not just my matches or my performance, but just the state of the business in general. I felt like I was at um, the elements of joy that I had at PWG and the small American Legion building literally transferred right over to this giant, huge mega company with that ha- still has like that kind of small indie at heart, but yet it has the production level that rivals WWE. So it's just, it's just special to be a part of these movements. So now that you've been in AEW for about a month and you've kind of seen the talent that they have there, who are you so excited to get in the ring and work with? Oh God. Okay, I'm so my favorite wrestlers to wrestle of all time are the Young Bucks. Uh, so I'm I'm just looking for a tag team partner for that. I have a few ideas, but I don't want to give my whole hand away. So then, following them are the Lucha Bros. Um, uh, wrestling Ray Phoenix or Pentagon would be great. Uh, my last I've wrestled Phoenix once in singles and in a couple multi mans, and I've had two against Penta recently. So I think I'm back for a Ray Phoenix match. Um, you know, there's the entire dark order. Brody Lee would be a, a match I'd love to have. Um, when he was the TNT champion, I was sort of hoping to work my way up to that level. I'm looking for a rematch with Sean Spears. He and I wrestled, you know, 10 years ago when we were in OVW together. And then we went back at dynamite and sort of started a feud during the pay-per-view and we blew that off at the late night dynamite. So I would love to get in there with him again. I've never wrestled FTR and anybody who claims to be the best in the world at wrestling, they are somebody I want to wrestle because when I wrestled the other guys that claimed that I was very much into the matches I had with them. Cause when you wrestle punk or Daniel Bryan, um, the, anybody who claims to be the best in the world usually is. And so that, that would be a really fun match for me in terms of a first time matchup that I've never had. Well, another guy who claims to be the best in the world of what he does is in AEW and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've already, I already found out in the ring that he is, I mean, I, and I see it all the time. I mean, with Jericho, he just has this ability to have fun in the ring in these, in like, he has a charisma that's unmatched and he can back it up with wrestling. I mean, that's what punk, that's what Brian, that's what Jericho always have done. Like they, 
they love to tell you about how good they are because they back it up. Like Rob Van Dam's another example of that. You know, they, um, so sometimes I find myself upset, upset with myself over a little bit of false humility. You know, I, I want to, when I say I want to wrestle these guys who are the best in the world, that's because I'm one of those guys too. I don't have to beat you over the head to do it. I like to just demonstrate it. But so anybody who says they are, I said, well, please, uh, let's dance. <laughs> so you had a pretty scary moment in your debut where you went up for the shooting star and you, know, you fell pretty hard. So did you end up getting injured at all in that spot? I am so lucky I didn't get injured. I mean, that was the craziest turn of events that happened. I mean, I can say I've jumped off that rope thousands of times and zero times have I had a slip like that. Zero. This was the first one. This is also the first time there were fireworks exploding in the background and there's a million excuses, but I'm not going to take them. I mean, that was just, it just didn't go well. But what did go well for me was like I said, the universe had my back on this one because when I slipped, I just basically reached back with my arm and as I would have rotated directly onto my head, which we already discussed my neck injuries, which are you know, I, it wasn't until January, like in March, I started feeling okay, but I haven't been taking German suplexes. I haven't been practicing getting dropped on my head because of my neck injury. And I I mean, if you look at the rotation that was set up for a pogo stick on my dome, I mean, it was, that's the rotation. I I reached my arm out, the rope was there. And basically it kept me from turning over onto my head. And I just turned partway, landed on my back and then kind of rolled onto my head. And so, I mean, it was just super scary. It was like life flashes before your eyes type scary. Just a moment where like there was, I didn't even know there were 20 other guys in the ring at that moment. There was just like, it all went to like condensed into a little dot and man. Yeah. When I landed and I was fine, I was like, all right, all right. Just, you know how I told you about how I get very emotional in matches. Uh, let's just say I had a lot of emotions flowing right there and it was not happy. I was very upset. I was like, what just happened? And then, uh, like Will Hobbs comes over to me and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, get off of me. I'm fine. <laughs> so mad. I'm like, Don't touch me. I'm mad. Like, oh man. Yeah. And then I, you know, what I did is I laid there because it sounded like everybody thought I was hurt. So using my wrestler instinct, I laid there and marinated it. And, and because I'm in the ring with guys, like I said, who I haven't seen in tons of years, but have been there through my career since day one, like Frankie Kazarian, who's the next guy that, who's the guy that picks me from the ground and brings me back, who restores me to the moment that I was trying to have. It's Frankie Kazarian. He's there exactly when I need him. Perfect timing. Looks at me in the face to check and see if I'm okay. And as soon as he gives me the look, I know he's ready for me to fire up on him because he's, he's not beating me up. He's giving me a chance to to take my moment back. Mm -hmm. And even though nothing will ever take the attention back from that, I I was able to keep going and the match was able to keep going and we just moved on. I mean, in wrestling, there's nothing else you can do other than pick yourself up. I mean, I think there's some, an old old Japanese saying, which is fall down seven, stand up eight. I don't know why I I just stand up seven times, I guess, but I, that's what I just did. I just got back up. I mean, resiliency is a huge part of my career. Being resilient is a huge part of who I am in the ring and out of the ring. And so this was a chance for me to demonstrate it. I didn't let it break me mentally. I didn't let it break me physically. Um, and does it still hang over me a little bit, but you know, I don't, I don't mind talking about it because reliving it just makes me more grateful to be healthy today. Yeah. I was going to say, there's obviously an element where you were upset that it didn't go the way you planned, but you had to be like, just have this overwhelming gratitude that like, 
you were okay and you were able to finish the match. No, I was just mad at myself for, for, for the error. We do, I mean, I told you, that's just, there's no way for me to be okay. I didn't even start to feel better. Like, like, okay. Where you wrestling companies, it matters to the fans, but as wrestlers, what matters is like, who's in the back and who are the guys in the locker room with? And so that like, you know, company loyalty is important, but also my, my loyalty has always been to the, to the other wrestlers, to the guys who taught me. And when I got back from that match, Christopher Daniels grabbed me and gave me a, a short little pep talk, but that instantly alleviated my f- deepest, darkest fears and just put me more on a level playing field. Then more people backstage, Hey, you know, just made me feel better about it. And, and that's really what made my heart like stick in AEW was how these people took me from my moment at my true, like at, at my lowest. And when you're down, it's e- in wrestling, there's plenty of people that will kick you, but I felt nothing but being uplifted. And then that, that evening, the guys just continued this. And I just was able to like rejuvenate some old friendships and yeah, I felt better after falling than I did before. And I mean, that, that would never happen anywhere else because I wouldn't even listen to people telling me to feel better. I would just tune them out and be like, no, I deserve to be mad at myself over this. I deserve to feel bad because I shouldn't have slipped. But the cooler heads and the wiser men in this business prevailed. And they, they, they got me to the point where when I drove home, I didn't spend four hours driving home, just hit, just hitting my head into the steering wheel the whole time. I just let it ride. You know, I just said, you know what, I'm going to come back next week and this one, and we'll, I'll have another, another match under my belt and I'll be just as mad about the mistakes that I make in that match than the ones in that match. I just try not to like give it more weight than it deserves, but I I have to tend to it because otherwise I don't want to just like suppress it. And then like it always hang over me. So this was a chance by talking it out with the other wrestlers um, that really made me get over it in a much smoother and easier way. It's that there's not, most sing- there's not a single person on this planet that would look at that and go, "Oh man, Matt screwed up." Like it was just it, it was just a freak accident. Yes, it's an accident, but there's only one person who can screw that up. It's the person doing the doing the act and doing the jump. So I mean, like there's whether it's fans or wrestlers, it's just. But it's fine. It's okay to think that. Um, but wishing that I had got hurt or something that's demented or, or, you know, most people were just, everybody I met was just happy. I was okay. And, and, you know, that's great. And what really made me happy was getting another opportunity. And really the next opportunity I got in AEW was to be on the late night dynamite. So I didn't, I wasn't sure if I'd ever, you know, you got to work your way up to being on dynamite. You got to work your way up to being on live TV. And they, they put us right out there with a, a live dynamite and me and Sean Spears had a main event. We went long. I mean, we had a full slobber knocker of a match. This it was no introduction match. I mean, it was, it, they put me right back in deep waters to see how I would perform again. And you know, that was an opportunity I jumped on. I seized, we had a banger, just what I was looking for. And that redemption felt so good. That redemption felt real because I felt like I got a chance to show who I am and what, and what I can showcase. However, I will still say I'm still good at battle Royals. Like I, I will do a battle Royal. I love them. I'll take another chance. Maybe I'll be an early entrant than the surprise entrant. But, um, you know, getting a chance to have that singles match with Sean Spears was a great redemption. Even though sports may have taken a little bit of a break in 2020, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. 
Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering listeners of our show a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And the wait is over, my friends. We finally have football again. Now, you may not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. You can do it all day. Every day. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. When I saw you at the Independent Wrestling Expo, uh, a number of people came up to you and asked about the other spot, you know, the other famous uh, shooting star press spot with Randy Orton. And I mean, it was amazing for you to like retell that story like it had just happened yesterday. Like that was, and that's a, that was a, that was something that happened quite a while ago, but that's something that sticks in everyone's mind. I mean, even still to this day. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is I probably, when I think of my memories of that happening, I more just think of how it looks on the video. If that makes sense. Like my memory is not like from my perspective, it's like what everybody else saw. But, but I mean, like, like I was saying to me, that's what I'm going for every single night. Like that's what I'm trying for. Sorry. We got a cameo there. (laughs) Yeah. He's should be in it's it's Friday. We do gifted class. So usually it's pretty easy, but second grade's not second grade's not easy for anybody. Hi, Leo. Hey, Leo. Okay. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, when I like with, uh, (laughs) um, as far as that RKO goes, like, um, there's so many ways to think about it. But I mean, when people, when when you get that moment that gets people to jump up off their chair, jump out of their seat, it reminds me of the moments that got me to do that when I was young. Like there was that time Taz and Bam Bam, like Taz had Bam Bam in the choke and they went through the entranceway, boom, boom, like through the elevated entranceway. I mean, everybody jumps out of their seat. When Undertaker threw Mankind off the Hell in a Cell, every, all my friends that I was watching that, which everybody jumps up and starts screaming. 
So essentially, every time I wrestle, every single match, AEW, Dark, main events on paper, whatever it is, that's the moment I'm going for. It's that one moment where everything stops and like everybody is all the attention, all the energy is right there in that one spot. And we did it that night. I mean, um, I, I didn't even realize that I had done that maybe once or twice before. I think Alex Shelley gave it to me one year at a PWG battle of Los Angeles, 2006 or 2007. He and I did shooting star and he gave me basically a cutter, but it was just with, with Randy in the WWE, it was just such a special moment because that RKO had been established and he was the master of it. And people had seen it from all these different angles, but nobody expected this one to happen. I, I came in, I fly to the ring, full fire, kick him in the head and go up and everybody expects the shooting star press. And in fact, the camera works so good. They focus in this really tight shot on me on the turnbuckle. You almost forget that Randy Orton's laid out on the ground you just see me climb up and you see right when I jump, then they cut to the shot where there's Randy as he's flying up into the air and catches me. I mean, it really still pulls people out of their seat and like ESPN posts that on their Instagram. And of course they don't tag me, but yeah, when they post that, like tons of people end up saying, Hey Matt, check out this. And like, it's, it's cool that it, it gets people going. And, um, because there are just moments like that that connected me to wrestling. And I think that's what I'm always going for. For me, it was never about, like, I want to be the champion. I need to be the person that everybody loves and adores. It's I just wanted to, like, reach through the screen and grab people, whether it's by their head or their heart, whatever it was that, like, when you're 16 and you're watching wrestling and it just connects on this level that, you know, you a therapist wouldn't be able to give you the kind of support that, re that wrestling gave me. And I, I think just that's the connection I'm looking for to, to bring people into the sport I love. And, and it's a way to share, like you can sh show people that clip and it might make them excited about seeing a wrestling match that night, you know, and that's, that's what I want to be as a good ambassador for the business and the sport. And like, you know, that's what wrestling is today. It's surprising though, to hear that that wasn't the original spot that that hadn't been done. Like you had done that before. I don't, I don't think a lot of people would, would realize that. Yeah. Well, what's even worse is that um, the, I think the first time I saw it get nailed was M-Dog 20, who does a shooting star press as well. Matt, Matt Cross. Cross. Yeah. Him, him and B-Boy did it on an IWA Mid-South show I was on. And I was like, oh my God, that was awesome. And this, this loop, we happened to be in Ohio and Matt was doing Tough Enough, I think at the time. So he was, a, he was an extra. And so we were in like, Dayton or we were in Columbus on Sunday and I was talking to him about it. And I said, Oh yeah, man. Hey, if I ever get in there, if I ever have a feud with Randy Orton, I want to do shooting star into the cutter. And he goes, yeah, that's awesome. You should totally do it. The next day on Monday, the next day on, I think I even told Randy about it on Sunday, that Sunday night. Then on Monday, this is how wrestling happens. 24 hours. Like a, <laughs> then on Monday, turns out me and Randy have a segment and I say, uh, anybody want to do this shooting star press RKO? And there was some doubts from, you know, management that it was humanly possible or physically possible, but it really was, it was just this perfect merging of two guys, special moves, two guys, finishers, two guys, you know, the, the things that we, I don't want to say we do it without thinking, but it's just something we can do confidently. And I jumped and, you know, there's no control. So basically I'm jumping and if he's there, I'm going to land on him. And if he jumps up and gives me a cutter, I'm taking a cutter. There's no, to me, I have to basically do, do the same leap and dive and then 
just as I've come through, like kind of as my head clears where I'd be able to see my, the ground of my opponent, it's just, just instantly getting caught and just hitting the ground. So I don't really have like this visual image of it. And so I've done a quite a few shooting star presses in my life. Yeah. The easy version, the safest one is where there's a crash pad. Okay. <laughs> uh, landing on a big opponent. That's easy. Give me a guy who's 200, 300 pounds. I kind of land on him and bounce off and it's not too bad. The worst landing is belly going belly out and just smacking, like doing a belly flop into a pool. But instead of a pool, it's a wrestling ring, which hurts a lot more. Um, and then, so this one was, I would say like the highest level of pain degree because I also had the extra downward gravity of it, but I did land basically how, what would be the, the best way to land it? You just belly out and eat it. And, uh, that's why I just laid there after sometimes I have a lot of energy and I'm selling very energetically on that one. I just ate it and there's no wind left in me. There was nothing. So I just laid there like a fish, like I'm... <laughs> <laughs> did Randy think this was possible when you presented the idea to him? Yeah. I mean, basically he didn't even hesitate. He's well, yeah, it'd be cool. Like if we could do it, like, you know, and I just said, it's possible. And it was, it's really like, it's a challenge for him to like jump up at the right time. And, yeah. it, and it requires a, it requires a very high level of athleticism and timing, but like Randy's not like, that's not going to be hard for him. He, he, he is athleticism and timing. So it was, um, it just, it just all fell into place that one weekend, like right there and wherever it was Ohio or some, so, you know, for, for me, it's like, I don't, it doesn't matter where it happened or when it's just that we did it. And like, I gave the fans something to remember because once I do it for me, my pleasure is in the doing it. I'm want to paint this picture. I painted it. Me and Randy painted it. We signed off on it. And now it's for everybody else. It's yours. If you want to gif it and like put a little dead fish instead of me doing it, or people want to turn it into it's for them. Like we, we make this art for everybody else. The making of it is where I like, that's where I'm myself, my highest self, my best self. But after it's done, it's for everybody else. So that's the same way when I slip on the rope, like that's not what I was trying to do, but now it's for everybody else. I'm not going to get too hung up on it anymore. But if people like make me relive it and rehash it all the time, I'll, I'll be okay. You know, did, you guys, gotta, did, did you guys practice this? Like, did you go over this or was what we saw live was it? Yeah. I mean, what you saw live was it. I mean, there's really no way to practice. I mean, I can't belly out like that in, in practice. I would, hey, buddy. It would be too dangerous. Hey, Leo. Hey, but pal, can you give me just a minute? Go back. Go back to Mr. Stefanko's class, would you? <laughs> yeah, he's a good student. Uh, education is number one. Uh, it's, okay. So, no, there was just no, there's really no way to rehearse it. I mean, Randy had to kind of, I wanted to see, you know, kind of see how he'd get up for it. But I mean, there's no way to to walk that through, but we did, I think there was like, um, something for the cameras. We may have done something so that the way they can get the cameras right for it. And th that the truth is this move would not have had the same impact if it had been filmed differently, if they had had different camera angles, if they had done so like a hey, wrestling is really important, but I've always thought that the wrestlers as the boys, we do our jobs. We have bangers every night, live event on TV. We kill it but there was something lost in the translation to the viewers. Um, I, I don't know if you were a big ECW fan, but was that yeah, like, of a, course. but there was something about ECW that made it feel more raw and real and brought it home to you. And so I think we connected with it. It can involve us a little bit more. And I sort of think sometimes the WWE shows you the whole picture. So sometimes you see everything. And so that's almost too much. 
But when you narrow the frame, they narrowed the frame right on me. So all you're thinking is airborne's going to jump. He's going to jump. And you forget that Randy's there and he's not unconscious. All he did was take one kick. So when I jump, then Randy basically comes from out of frame, thus the out of nowhere and does it. So we executed the move, but it, take, it, took, it took a whole team, cameramen, the guys in the back, the, the producer of the segment. So it's like, I, yes, I get glory for uh, getting, taking that RKO, but really it's a team effort. And I mean, like it, it goes all the way back to my parents letting me save up my money to buy me a trampoline when I was a kid. Like it, 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 it was not just me out there doing that. It was like the accumulation of every, all the work I put in, all the work Randy's put in, all the work the, the, the producers put in, and we just made magic that night. And I know that we're, we're hunting for that forever. I mean, that's, that's a feeling that you just don't want to leave as a one-off. You want to just keep running back to it. That's very humble of you to include everybody because unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize all the cameramen that are there or the producers behind the scenes or the director who's calling the cuts to make sure that it cuts properly. Uh, that's really great of you to be able to show that appreciation to all of them. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's something that I really study like media and its effects and like the, the difference between TVs and movies and how things are shot. And it just, it's beautiful. They have these super close ups. So it wasn't, you didn't just see me after I took the fall. You didn't just see my body there. You saw my face. And then it goes to Randy's face and he's in this wild celebration. And it's an energy that people pick up on. I mean, like it, like there's always these things we talk about psychology and wrestling. We talk about these, but it's all underneath the surface. It's like these real raw feelings that wrestling's able to elicit and people connect with. And like when you can surprise people on TV and it's not a horror movie and you're not scaring them with gore or like just disgusting violence. It was like a stunt, I guess. It was a stunt that really woke, brought, brought people right to that moment, right where they were at. And what, it, what I love about that moment is people stood up and high-fived their friends and like grabbed the person next to them and shook them. And that creates this bonding experience between the family, the same way me and my brothers watch wrestling, every, people and their friends do it. It's like, that's what's special about it. Like me doing a flip, who, like, I just, I can't pat myself on the back too much for it. But to create a moment where like, families still like laugh about it. Like, you know, maybe they did say, Oh, he flopped like a fish. Isn't that funny? Oh, fishy born. So, you know, just whatever inside joke you can create from that. Yeah. That's what's special about it. Like when me and my brothers still do D'Lo Brown promos, I mean, like D'Lo Brown might not have been as big of a star as the rock, but to us, it felt like he was to, to us in these moments. It's just as deeply connected as a guy who sold millions of dollars in merchandise. And so that's why it's like, if I don't sell, a million dollars in merchandise by doing that match. Like it, it, to me, it wasn't about, it's never been about doing it for money. I never, I still can't believe people pay me to wrestle. I mean, I've been working hard at it. So it, it makes sense now, but my whole career, I never thought like my whole career, I thought I would have to work a regular job and just wrestle as my hobby. And just the fact that I was able to turn what I loved into what I do to get paid. And then to like have a moment where the collective world of wrestling's eyes are on me. Like, I'm just a kid. I, I just grew up in the suburbs in St. Louis. I just, nobody ever told me I'd be anything special or do anything monumental like that. And it's wild to go back and think about that, that I've had this sweet effect on pro wrestling. You absolutely have. Look, I want to be very respectful of your time. I know that you, uh, you have some kids you need to teach. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to ask you before you go, I am Matt Seidel is so vastly different from who Evan Bourne was. <laughs> Where did the idea for the name Evan Bourne come from? Okay, great question. This is another 
answer that if people think things in wrestling are these nicely laid out plans with six months planned out for this, it was not like that. Nobody, I was in WWE developmental and I had gone from Ohio Valley Wrestling. I went from Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling on a Friday night, Ring of Honor in Chicago on a Saturday, and then Sunday, pack up my bags, drive to Ohio Valley Wrestling, go in there. That place is, was just insane. Craziest egos, a bunch of wild, like a bunch of wild guys, like people, Wild West Wrestling, old school Southern Wrestling. I'm there for five months. I work my way up. I'm like OVW champion. We, they said they ship us all down to, well, first we all, everybody feels like we're all going to get fired, but then they did send some of us down to Florida to begin FCW, which is kind of the reason why I still live here in the Tampa Clearwater area. I started FCW and there's like 60 guys and I'm not on the list of guys that, that should be watched. They have, they had a meeting. They point out this guy, Rob Terry, who I love. They're like, Rob Terry's going to make millions of dollars in this business and the rest of you aren't going to do shit. And I remember thinking, well, hell no, that's not me. Like I'm good as hell at wrestling. Like, I don't know if I'm good at what you guys want, but I know like I just came from Japan from Dragon Gate. My confidence was high. Like you could chop me 20 times. I wouldn't turn red. Like I was like, I could go with anybody in the ring. There was nothing. And I was in there with the guys who are the best in the world. Just not a lot of people know who they are still very valid and unbelievable wrestlers. But I came from there and I had this real high confidence and um this guy from the indies called me on the phone and was like hey bro can you get me a dark match and i was like what are you talking about i'm in wwe developmental i get paid by them and i've never had a dark match in fact i've never even been considered for a dark match so i hung up the phone and i thought to myself what am i gonna do i decided to book myself so i just flew myself to some shows that wwe had i asked permission to show up they told me don't go I told them, oh, I'm, it's, it's, uh, I'm going home to, for my brother's college graduation, but just so happens to be when there are shows in Kansas City and St. Louis, which is just like the ultimate work because I was only going yeah, there for, for those it. shows. Um, yeah, so I brought my gear. I went there kind of not approved. And before the show, I got in the ring with Jamie Noble. I wrestled him just kind of in front of the other wrestlers. I didn't do one flip. I didn't do, I just did what he told me to do, drop kick something else, you know, not, nothing too big, but I showed that my footwork's there, my timing's there, that I, that I was not just a little guy, I was a capable wrestler. And then, so the next night I earned my dark match. That's Monday night before Monday night raw. I wrestled Jamie Noble in like a 12 or 15 minute full on match. He gives me double underhook tiger driver into the arm bar. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a wrestling match and you know, it was, it was pretty good. And so, um, they were pretty confident and high on me at the time right after that match. And the next day was SmackDown before SmackDown, they filmed ECW. Well, Shelton Benjamin was feuding with Kofi Kingston and they needed somebody to wrestle him. And it was proposed that I would do it, but on ECW, they wouldn't, uh, actually they did let me use Matt Seidel this week. So I wrestled as Matt Seidel against Shelton Benjamin he powerbombed me over the announce table onto a chair and I got counted out. <laughs> when did they ever do stuff like that? It was just nuts. It was awesome. Shelton gave me a great first match. The next week they had me come back. So I booked myself the first week, literally the next week I'm there. They asked me to wrestle on ECW, but they have to change my name. They give me a bunch of really bad, um, we'll call them developmental names. And I was like, Oh my God. I said to the wrestler, to the writer named Jen, I was like, Jen, I have to live with this name for the rest of my life. 
could I please have a few minutes to think of something better than what the, the names they laid out for me? And she goes, yeah, you, you know, five, 10 minutes, we need a name. That's it. And I'm like, what do I do? So the only, the, the, the bet that I knew there the most was punk from our time at IWA Mid-South. And he was always kind of there for me and looked out for me. I said, punk, what do I do? I, they're telling me my name should be Jason Jordan or something like this. Well, that's not, you know, what, what do I do? How do I come up with a name? He goes, I can't, I, what do you want me to do? Come up with a name for you? <laughs> and he said, listen, talk to Joey Styles. He's good at this kind of thing. And he, he's the kind of guy who can help you. So I asked Joey to help me. He took me into his office. We sat down, uh, put on our thinking caps and came up with a couple names and uh, like we thought of like Evan and Eric for first names and born and something else for the other names. And we, Evan born was our top pick. They sent it to legal legal says, great. Jen, the writer comes to me, says you're Evan born now. And can you please do a promo for a picture in picture for your introduction? And so I <laughs> literally like right away, I said, Hey, I'm Evan born. I'm not good at promos. I'm going to be doing a match later on tonight. Uh, please watch. Thanks. Bye. Well, it's just terrible picture in picture. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as that promo ends, Colin Delaney, who's a pal of mine, who was in ECW at the time, he was, he was just off stage there. And, you know, I finished my picture. Yeah, I'm Evan Bourne. Watch me wrestle. He goes, we cut. Colin Delaney goes, Evan Bourne. Oh, you can be airborne. And then so I went from nothing to just happening because the universe supports me enough. I got this name, Evan Bourne, that just happened to tie into airborne, which is just basically the nickname. I always tried to like, ditch the Evan and just be airborne. Uh, WWE never was like, dig. I, I don't think anybody dug that idea, that concept, but just like, I always just thought airborne was very catchy. And I'm just really lucky that that day punk was there. Joey styles, Colin Delaney, like I said, like every wrestler, we like, I have to do all my work. I have to be killing it every day, grinding, grinding, grinding. But in the end, like it's this synergistic magic. Like if you go back to like my five-star match that I had with the Bucks and the uh, Lucha Bros at PWG, like that, that match is amazing, but it's just, sure, I, I had to be there, but it's like the magic of when we all got together because mm -hmm. separately we couldn't have thought of these moves, shooting star press into a Meltzer driver, unless we were all there popping these ideas off each other. So there's just like a lot of the magic in wrestling happens five minutes before you go out there, 10 minutes before you go out there, and certainly within the 24 hours before it happens. Thus that massive bout of anxiety I always have before I leave to travel is like, I need to make magic happen. And how do you come up with an idea if you, you're, you're not there? But that's just like, I try and remind myself that that anxiety is actually just a version of excitement that it, I can remind myself, hey, you're actually just excited about your opportunity to wrestle and have this performance that you know you can, you know you can have the best match. You know you can make people jump out of their seats. You, you can know you give the fans their money's worth, which in the end is like just this goal of mine from when I was a fan and would save up so much money for 10. Sorry, there's a giant blue heron squawk. We've got everything in this interview. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, it's, we try and keep everybody on their toes. So yeah. <laughs> um, but man, you know, it's, it's just that that's wrestling, man. We just, so much of it happens that moment. Just before you go out to the ring, you, you have this idea, you mention it to the guy and you're all, all of a sudden, 15 minutes later, you're hitting it and it changes the course of your life. I mean, there's just, when you're doing live improv, quasi improv wrestling, it, it, there's just all these variables and the wrestling is like your match never happens till you walk through the curtain. 
and, and, you know, you would never tell somebody, Hey, I'm going to, I would never tell somebody I'm debuting on AEW pay-per-view tonight because that doesn't happen till you walk through the curtain. And then all the variables condense into that moment of just like truth. It's like for wrestlers getting in the ring is our moment of truth. It's like, there's all the possibilities, but the only ones that happen are the ones that happen right then there when the cameras are on. And when you tell a story like that, it makes me realize how spiritual wrestling is when you, when you talk about it like that. And I love how you throw things out into the universe and then they come right back to you. And it's been a tough year for a lot of people. 2020 has been a tough year. So as we end this, I'm curious, Thanksgiving's, you know, a month away. When you sit down for Thanksgiving this year, what are you going to be thankful for or grateful for, for you in 2020? You know, for, for me, like I've, it has been, you know, a, the struggle has been real. I haven't been able to go see my family like that. Like I haven't been able to fly out and visit any of the family in St. Louis that, you know, like I said, was my support system that launched my launched everything. And so I actually am going to get to go home and see my family, see my parents. My grandparents are in like a nursing home where you can't go visit them directly, but it's, it's just like a, a chance to just giving back is a huge part of what I do. Like I said, I have a wrestling school. If you looked at the books, you'd say, Matt, no, you're sponsoring young wrestlers because that's, that's what it is on paper. Yeah, they pay to go there, but it's not the, the books don't balance out as, you know, I'm not making a living as a wrestling trainer. I'm making a living as a wrestler, but being a trainer is how I give back and how I was given so much by these guys when I was a young wrestler. Kid Cash and Jamie Noble just caught me when I'm, you know, basically before I'm 18. And, and start showing me the ropes. The guy that ended up signing me to WWE saw me wrestle the first time when I was 17. And wow. there's just this cycle of people of, of people reaching down one-to-one and bringing the next guy up. And so I'm just trying to like give back to that. So really what, what I'm thankful for is all these people in my life that keep me on track, that keep me motivated, that keep me like, like happy, that make me like laugh when I'm like getting ready for bed. And I think about something silly. One of my students, I have a student named Fabu. Andre, he's done some AEW dark, but I've worked with him. I've worked with him on some indie shows. Yeah. So Fabu cracks me up and just these people, they're just so special to you. And like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know it sounds silly to be thankful to wrestling, but I'm thankful to wrestling for bringing us all together for having like, um, you said wrestling is spiritual. Like I wrestle on a Sunday. I'm always like, we're at church today. Like it's a church day because it's like, you know, that's where we meet. We collaborate. Everybody gets together. We, we forgive ourselves. We, like we just, it's, it, it is my, it is my guiding light, my, 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 my religion in so many ways uh, outside of archaic Peruvian shamanism and Judaism, which are also my other two religions. But, um, you know, I'm a guy with a lot of interests and like wrestling just somehow encompasses all that and puts me around the people. So I'm just, I mean, I'm really just thankful for the people that are around me because like, I can't control, there's so many things in this world that are out of our control from coronavirus to the response to it to like the unfortunate poverty and loss of jobs and so much hurt that we see all over the world that when I'm I'm with the people I'm with like we're we're keeping we're doing everything we can to help the person next to us and then they can help the person next to them because we can't you can't help everybody but if you're doing good you know just so that's I mean really what I'm thankful for is all the people who are giving me that good and like re-inspiring me um, so many times in interviews, I get asked, so oh, who inspired you when you're a kid, but really like what inspires, what matters the most is who's inspiring you today. And yeah. I have like 
a, a list of wrestlers. I have a list of people outside of wrestling that inspire me. I have like my friends and really I'm thankful for like to be able to be inspired. Cause when you're depressed and you're going through these hard, long periods, you don't get that inspiration. You don't feel that moment where you want to jump up out of bed and drop kick somebody, you know, and I, and I felt that too. And I just am like thankful that the cycle's coming up, you know, the, the swing's going in the direction, in the right direction for now. And I'm just going to ride that. Well, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for you and for your time today. And thank you for dealing with the technical issues we've had, but this has been a fantastic conversation. I could talk to you all day, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I know you've got a lot of things to do today. Yeah, hey, uh, absolutely. Well, next time I, I would just like, we have seen each other in person. So I really look forward to doing that because I mean, I actually was like, I was going to stop the interview part, not stop it, but just, I wanted to ask you about like, the belt on your bookshelf, like oh. the cool, like be great and be grateful you have in the background. Like you've got like, uh, anyway, we can have lots more talks on and off camera. I uh, like just, just sign me up for them. And thank you for your understanding with my previous interview and that, you know, next time we do an interview, it just will be after my match, not before it. It'll be, you'll have like clear headed Matt Seidel, not like anxious, insane guy. I mean, I'm crazy and I'm happy about being crazy, but like insane is too deep. And that's where I was sort of at. That, this is what we got today. We got a very clear-headed Matt Seidel. And thank you for talking us through this journey. These are so, like, you are an amazing storyteller, not just in the ring, but here one-on-one -on -one in a conversation. You're an incredible storyteller. That means a lot coming from you, Chris. Thank you. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, I look forward to doing our next interview in person. Beautiful. Peace, love, pro wrestling. Uh, and yeah, Matt Seidel on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> ProWrestlingTees.com, Matt Seidel, M-A-T-T-S-Y-D-A-L. Find me if you want to get back. Thanks, Chris. Well, there you go, my friend. A much-needed upgrade from the last interview with Matt Seidel, which, of course, you can check out on YouTube if you haven't seen it yet, or if you just want a refresher of it. Yeah, it's there for you. And I know I said it there, but he is a fantastic storyteller. I love this. Take a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening. Tag us on Instagram so we can share this and say hi. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and he is at Matt Seidel. That's very easy to remember. He's been doing some great stuff in AEW, but as he mentioned, he's a free agent. So I think that there's no reason he wouldn't get signed to a full-time deal. And when he does get signed to that deal in AEW, I feel like that's when we're really going to start to see the magic happen in the ring especially with all those opponents that he listed off that he wants to work with in AEW. Oh, and I just love his story of how he got his first match in WWE by basically flying himself to the show and bringing his gear and kind of talking them into giving him a match. It's just, it's so incredibly inspiring. And it's something I can totally relate to. That's basically how I got my first job in TV. And if you haven't heard the story, I'll make it real quick here, but I looked up the email address for the general manager of the TV station that I wanted to intern for. I was still in college at the time. I wrote this unsolicited email. I'd never met him before. And I said, look, I'm going to be in town in a few weeks, Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. The TV station was called Checks TV. I said, I'm going to be in town. Do you have a few minutes that I could meet with you? Maybe, maybe talk about this internship. I mean, this was a total lie because I had no plans of going to that town. It was 60 miles away from my hometown, an hour drive. But he said yes. And to make a long story short, with my story and with Matt's story, it pays to take a chance and bet on yourself. 
because no one believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And as I sit back right now, recording this episode, I think, what if I never sent that email? What if I'd never taken that chance? What if I never, you know, I got that internship, which ended up turning into a job as a TV reporter. What if I never drove those 60 miles each way five days a week for the 18 months I worked at that job? What if I never took those chances? And the reality is probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you right now. So as the legendary Tom Petty once said, go after what you really love and find a way to make that work for you. And then you'll be a happy person. Tom Petty. Be great. Be grateful. Have an amazing weekend. And we will see you soon.